You're listening to a download from the outdoorstation.co.uk. Number 284 on the outdoor station. Yes, 284, so that means there's only 16 to go uh, before the big 300. And um, 300 seems to be um, a big figure in my mind at the moment, wondering what we're going to do. We've already had uh, some emails, some suggestions from people, uh, which I'll, I'll come on to in a, uh, shortly. And uh, it's quite interesting, uh, the range of listeners and, and how much pe- enjoyment people are getting from, from these uh, podcasts and touching on a whole variety of different aspects as we're able to. Uh, I wish we had the budget to do more exotic and wild and interesting things, but uh, we're doing our best on, on that score. It's um, mid-November as I record this now, and um, the weather is certainly uh, very autumnal. Uh, the, the nights have one and truly drawn in. It's sort of dark at uh, 3.34 o'clock-ish, depending where you are in the country. Um, and uh, the weather forecast this weekend isn't very good. The, the wind has taken all the leaves off the trees, certainly in this area. Um, we've had a few days of rain, and uh, the forecast for the north of England isn't good at all. And in fact... I think it's already making the international news the amount of rain it's going to get, but I think there's rumoured or forecast five inches of rain uh, in a very, very short period of time, uh, which uh, once again makes us wonder about the old global warming and the environmental situation and, and so on. And um, there seem to be two camps uh, regarding the, the global warming theories. Um, you heard uh, Rose and I mention the 350 day and the pressure they're trying to put onto the politicians to sort of come up with some form of action as opposed to discussing to agree to discuss action let's actually get on with it shall we and uh, you know some of the comments I put on different forums and so on have co- I've got uh, had different types of uh, responses some people seem to believe that um, that we're doomed um, and uh, the way uh, the way that we're treating the planet and the amount of people and the amount of energy that we're drawing is actually going to uh, bring us to a short end, which is sort of where my feelings are at the moment, I have to say. And there's the other camp that believes that it's perfectly normal and uh, nature will take its course and um, global warming and all the rest of it is is all part and parcel of it and um, we shouldn't make such a big fuss. But um, sitting in the camp of the of the first parts, thinking about the energy consumption that we, we go into, and of course... As outdoor enthusiasts, no matter what your enthusiastic um, topic is, we all rely on the petrochemical industry. Um, you know, you think of the clothing, the insulations, the uh, the, the hard fabrics, uh, the hard materials, the plastics, and so on. Um, it's uh, it's a bit of a difficult one, isn't it? You sort of uh, got one foot in the I want to be sort of uh, environmentally friendly, and then the other foot is. Uh, well, I actually like this gear, and all the gear perfor- performs very, very well, and uh, you want to, to get out and about and, and use it. Um, anyway, to um, to ease our guilt, perhaps, um, there is one company that has um, changed their product range for 2010. And actually, 
uh, developed um, the, all the material they use in their products is what they call 100% tier 1 recycled nylon fabrics and would you believe that is Golite um, Golite have um, made a, a, put a real big flag in the ground um, to, to flag this up and um, their, their fabrics have, have changed slightly but they still do the same performance and so on so, um, in this podcast, uh, Roman, uh, when he was over in Germany, spoke to Andy Burgess from Golight uh, about some of the new products and also the, the fabrics and um, what their intentions were. And then as their strap line has, has developed, it's Go Lighter on the Planet, and, and you'll, we'll hear more about that a bit later on. Also, um, the Destination Show is um, looming in, uh, let's say, February and March, uh, February in London and uh, March in Birmingham. And um, Andy and I went to the one in Birmingham uh, the beginning part of this year. Uh, you've already heard uh, various interviews that we did there with uh, people with different des destinations. So um, it'll be interesting to, to go to that one um, next year and see exactly what's changed, uh, again, from an environmental point of view, how much that's affected the travel industry, and also from a, um, a consumer point of view, find out what is up and coming if we can. But um, Andy and I sat down during that show and, and had a bit of a, a reprise, really, and, and, and discussed some of the um, our thoughts on the presentation and the size of the show and the sort of people that were there and, and, and so on. So perhaps uh, that you might find that interesting, and, and uh, possibly if the if the show is near you, uh, or is at Earl's Court in uh, in February, and the Birmingham NEC in March, uh, it might be worthwhile popping along. Uh, but first, um, another show that we went to was the Focus Show, the the camera show again at the NEC, uh, beginning of the year, uh, and one of the interviews that um, we hadn't got round to to releasing was one Andy did. Um, with um, Simon Street from Expression Media uh, and uh, they handle a cataloging tool uh, which helps you uh, make sense of your ever-growing range of digital outdoor photography. So um, Andy uh, sat down with him and uh, had a demonstration with some of the software there uh, and his, uh, his Simon to tell you all about it. One of the great things about digital photography, of course, is that um, once you book the camera, there's no more film costs, so you can take as many images as you like, and providing you've got the disk space, um, you can keep them. And that's where the problems come in, because if you're starting off in any way as, a, as an enthusiastic, as a keen enthusiast, taking a lot of photographs, you'll soon lose track of your images. Now, there's a whole series of software programs that are around now to help you catalogue and... Uh, uh, not lose those files and, and perhaps one of the market leaders is Expression Media which is a Microsoft product and uh, I've got Simon here who's going to tell us a bit about it. So Simon, somebody who's taking, suddenly taking a lot of photographs, I mean what's the big benefit of using a program like Expression Media? Well this is one of the big uh, issues in the industry over the last few years and even for you know, the amateur and uh, the professional is that um, from moving from film to digital just the sheer volume of files has gone from just the 24 that you might shoot on a, a roll of film to the hundreds and thousands that you can rattle off on a digital camera. So it's really the, the volume of files and uh, the variety of files that we now deal with on our computers that, that can be a challenge to, um, to anybody. And keeping organized, uh, being efficient, but also using those files productively and creatively is what a bit of software like Expression Media can do for you. Now this is what um, the photo magazines and the professionals call workflow, isn't it? 
Yeah, for sure. Um, people talk about workflow, and really what we're talking about is how you go from uh, the, the skill and expertise that you apply as a photographer to then to the work that you do on the computer. And, and for me, workflow is using the bit of the software. I, I don't think, personally, there's one panacea and one program that does it all. And I, my personal view is that you will use uh, the, a range of programs that each have an expertise in a particular area. Expression Media is what we call a digital asset management solution. And uh, really, its expertise is working with large volumes of files productively and creatively. And also, it's extremely strong on uh, metadata. Uh, meta what we mean by metadata are all the um, hidden attributes of a file that are present when you take a a digital picture, you've obviously got the EXIF information, which is all the details about the, the, the shots as was taken, the capture date, the, the aperture, the, um, uh, and this kind of information. And then there's a whole range of annotations which exist, and they're formally specified. Uh, so that data can be worked with. And you can also add to that data, so you can add your keywords, captions, comments, your authorship, uh, your copyright information, and that information can be saved within the files. And that's what a tool like Expression Media can do. So you, in terms of workflow, um, typically you can shoot tethered with a program like Capture One, or you can take your memory card into that kind of software, do your edits, your enhancements in those programs, and then when you, you're outputting those files and your original RAWs can be brought into this one environment called Expression Media. Okay, so let's, let's start at the beginning. Suppose I've been out um, somewhere, maybe hill walking for a couple of days, I've got a load of photographs there. I um, upload them on, into a file on my hard drive. So what do I do from there? Take me through the process from that point. Okay, so we've got a bunch of rules on our hard drive. The most simple thing to do would be to open Expression Media and uh, that would present to you a catalogue. We call a catalogue. Um, um, it's just a blank canvas, really. And you can simply drag and drop your files into that catalogue. What it does is to build what I would describe as a visual database. It builds uh, thumbnails of those files, it extracts the metadata from those files, and importantly it notes the location. So it does a very small amount of work, and it's in as a result it's incredibly fast. It it doesn't copy the files, and that's a crucial thing. It's a reference model where it notes the location. So once you've got those files in, then you're in a pole position to start working with them. And then you can go through uh, the processes of review and selection. So if you want to review your files and select your, your favorites, uh, ones that you may be using or ones that you're going to reject, you can do that very easily in the, in the software using um, either the thumbnails or full screen views of the, of the files, and you can tag them. Either tag them with the standard IPTC data ratings or uh, color labels. So I might, um, let's say I've been in Snowdonia for a couple of days, I might um, tag all of them with, the, with Snowdonia, or I might have a catalogue called Snowdonia, and then I might individually tag them depending on the maybe an individual mountain or village or location or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's exactly the, the workflow that you do, that you go through the, your files, uh, annotating them with these kind of important information, these keywords and these annotations. And of course, the great thing about that is that it's reasonably easy to do. But unless you start doing that reasonably early on, as more and more photographs you get, the more of a nightmare it is. And, and this, we've got the um, program in front of us. The screen is very crisp and clear. You can change the size of the thumbnails there, yeah. can't you? Um, uh, and I think but that's not all, is it? You can you can actually edit 
you can manipulate images to some extent in the program as well. Yes, of course. I mean, because we work with a wide range of file formats, we've got the support for, I think, 10 camera manufacturers' file formats, as well as other media formats. Um, but I just want to take you back, Andy, a second. Uh, probably one of the important things to say is that once you've done that import and you've added your annotations, that information is permanently stored in the catalogue. So um, when you open the software back up a few days later, you don't have to re-index or re-catalogue these files. It's a permanent record, and that record can actually be taken even with you away from the original files, and you can carry on annotating. Well, once we've got that data, we can do useful things for it. We can obviously search over that metadata, uh, searching over keywords, you know, over Snowdonia to find particular pictures that you've tagged like that. Um, but then you can do productive and creative things with it. Um, you can export to XML. Uh, I mean, it's not XML. I'm trying to, we can export to XML actually, all the, all the metadata. But you can export to uh, HTML. You can create contact sheets. Uh, you can run slideshows. And because we support audio formats and video formats, you can add that into your slideshow, which ultimately could be burnt to a DVD. So it's actually a very rich environment that allows not just to do a cataloging and an organizing tool, it actually allows you to do more to, to leverage those files and present them publicly uh, and often you know, to your clients in, in professional ways. Now, because it's not actually holding the original file in, in the database itself, you, you, you can um, do some basic editing in expression media itself, but you, you can also quick and easily go and edit in something like Photoshop or Capture One, can't you? And, the, and then it automatically returns you back into expression media. So that sounds a bit magical. How does that work? Yeah, that's a great question, Andy. And I'm sorry I didn't answer the last question particularly well because <laughs> you asked, about, asked me about editing. Because uh, at the start of the beginning, if you have your RAWs in Expression Media, it, it has a range of tools where you can reprocess out those RAWs to other file, file formats like JPEG and TIFF, and downsize them, resize them, this sort of thing. Um, but also, it allows you to take those files to other applications. And it's as simple as highlighting one or many files, going to the toolbar and saying open with this helper application and then uh, Expression Media will hand over those files to that other application. And, um, and when it brings it all back again, it's very easy, isn't it, to uh, batch change files. So, for example, I might want to rename them all, you know, Snowdonia Easter 1, 2, 3, 4. It'll automatically do that for me. Um, and, uh, I mean, some of these things, or if I wanted to um, export a whole selection, convert a whole section in one go to JPEG, it will do that for me as well, wouldn't it? Yeah, it's the batch processing that really starts leveraging, you know, the power of the software. Because it, because it can deal with very large volumes of four files, we're talking in the thousands, the tens of files in a single catalogue, you can take one, ten, or a thousand, or ten thousand of those files and perform a single operation, such as battery naming, as such converting from a RAW to a JPEG or a TIFF. So that, that is, is a very powerful feature. But also you can logically organize and then work with different sets. You can have more than one catalog. A uh, catalog is just a document that you save, like a Word or an Excel file. So um, you can be very organized over those files as well as be productive with them. Okay, now all of the information about Expression Media is on the web, isn't it? If you, if you put Expression Media into Google or you look up uh, Microsoft's site, 
I, I think you can also download it and, and play with it for a while, can't you, with a, a free demo? Yeah, absolutely. There's a free demo of Expression Media. Uh, I believe it's a 30-day free trial. And probably the best, best URL to try and get that is uh, microsoft.com forward slash pro photo and then you'll find uh, a range of, of professional photography uh, information and including the link to go and download Expression Media to, to trial the software. Well, thanks very much for that, Simon. I think if you're um, at all serious about your photography, um, you'll have amassed many, many images and uh, this really is a good investment quite early on because simply it saves you getting lost. It's a great tool for um, working with large volumes of files. It's, it's a very cheap product comparatively. And um, once you understand the way it works as a reference model, it becomes an incredibly powerful tool and, and hopefully a, a very important part of the workflow. One thing perhaps we should add that um, I've certainly found very useful is that if, um, if you manipulate all your files constantly from in the program, let's say you know, we buy a new external hard drive or something, we want to move the location of our files. So long as we do that from within Expression Media itself, which is pretty straightforward, all of those catalogues remain valid, don't they? You, you're not going to be losing some of those key photos. No, absolutely, and that is the, the trick that Expression Media is, is all about where your files are. And it does allow you, as you say, to move files within the program around the file system and onto other drives. So it's got backup functions and it can remember that you've done that backup so it knows that those files are now offline on a DVD or off on a, another hard drive that may not be connected. So um, absolutely, I think that's a very good point. And the website, again, is microsoft.com slash prophoto, and hopefully that'll help sort out, if you're anything like me, hundreds, if not thousands, of outdoor images uh, which are slowly chocking up the hard drives. And thankfully they're coming down in price, which is a good thing. Um, let's move on to some feedback letters. I do enjoy getting feedback uh, from people. It's um, Sometimes it's... Uh, I've probably mentioned it before, I know, but uh, it seems a bit of a lonely existence to be sitting in a, a room sometimes, uh, working away on editing and, and so on, just wondering who's listening to it and, and if they're enjoying it. So um, it's always nice to, to get uh, comments from people, and they're full of variety and from all over the world. So the first is from Brent Clark. I just wanted to show my appreciation for the excellent podcasting site. I loved it so much. I went out and got myself an iPod. Like a lot of people, I now listen to your podcasts while in the outdoors myself. The features, and especially the TGO Challenge material, are an inspiration. And most of your gear is okay too. Uh, thanks and keep up the good work, and definitely more podcasts on multi-days out, please. Maybe abroad in the Alps, uh, that's an area I'll be looking into, as well as everyone's favourite, Scotland. Hmm, thank you very much for that, Brent, and... Uh, People who know me know that I would love to go off and do a series of podcasts if only I had A, the time, and B, the money. Moving on. Ah, striking hard at the at the heart of, of, of supporting women. Flora Marriott, one more thing I forgot to add when commenting uh, my last time was more Shirley in the podcast, please. Well done, Shirley. Come on, get yourself together now. Produce some more stuff for us. Um, Chris and Ingrid. Hi, Bob and Rose. Sorry we missed your phone call. We were out gadding about in the lakes. Um, well done for competing in the OMM. Mm -mm, bit embarrassing, but there you go. Uh, thanks for all the uh, stuff. Uh, love the podcast and well done. Looking forward to the next instalments. Um, be in touch soon, Chris and Ingrid. Um, Alfred Wasserman. 
Uh, your video casts are superb. They're very informative and sim simultaneously very entertaining. Keep up the good work. Thank you, Alfred. Graham Bullock um, downloaded all of your podcasts recently. What well, all 283 of them? Uh, and boy, are my days at work so much more enjoyable. Well, thank you, Graham. And finally, John Horner. Um, a whole podcast devoted to gear equals heaven. Thanks, Bob, for... Um, oh, thanks, Bob. For the 300th podcast, how about a Bob and Andy big adventure to mid-Wales? Thanks, John. Well, mid-Wales, you know, the Alps, anywhere, mainland Europe, I'm, I'm open for anything, but... Um, as mentioned before, sadly, we've also got a business to run and uh, it's uh, it's quite difficult to squeeze it all in. Producing these, which I do love, it's part of my creative vent to uh, to produce these sort of things, um, is uh, is one hand and on the other hand we have to, uh, to, have to obviously, like everybody else, get by. Um, but talking about uh, destinations and looking for places to go, um, one of the things we, we visited this year, Andy and I, was the destination show, the Times Destination Show at the NEC. And we went along really to see if we could find various places that uh, could be of interest to uh, fellow outdoors people uh, wanting somewhere uh, more affordable or more interesting or more quiet or whatever, uh, less commercial to, to go and visit. But um, at the end of the show, we actually sat down and had a chat about um, uh, the actual contents, uh, the sort of size, some of the people we met and some, the way they were presenting themselves, because I think there was a bit of a confusion about who their actual customer base was and, and so on. So it wasn't the biggest show in the world, but um, it was something, uh, one offering something different. Um, and depending on your budget, I'm sure there was something there. Now, I'm just doing this to mention the fact that the um, next year's, the 2010 show, is at the Earl's Court in 4th to the 7th of February and back at the NEC again on the 5th to the 7th of March, uh, and we'll probably be going along to that one again. Anyway, here's Andy and I chewing the fat over a cup of coffee. If you have any feedback, questions or suggestions, why not drop us a line? either on Facebook or directly to our email address, info at theoutdoorstation.co.uk. Bringing you more about the outdoors world. Well, it's a considerably smaller show than I anticipated it being. I thought it would be a much bigger show than this. Um, it's not even one hall, it's half a hall. Um, and also the range of people of here, you certainly got uh, the sort of the upper end of the market the financial market and you've got the smaller independent uh, tourist offices here which is in, which is good to see uh, they're very very helpful from our point of view I, th I found that the, the biggest surprise is the amount of people that hide behind PR companies actually you know you're here to talk about um, uh, the destinations and uh, the various things you can do when you get to that particular country or area or whatever uh, and yet you know when we wanted to uh, have a chat with them about it and to promote it for them or help them promote it they actually um, sort of deferred to the the PR people of course who aren't here at the time. Yeah I've, I've been to one or two stands which look really interesting um, um, one of the companies that did bike, bike excursions thought yeah that's good I said oh we're just the sales team the marketing people aren't here um, I'll give you a card and you can speak to them during the week, which kind of defeats the point of the exercise a bit. Yeah, I mean, I suppose, you know, in some respects, it just goes to show you how big the industry is in, with certain players. I, I had the same thing with uh, with the Greek uh, Islands Authority. I thought that would be a lovely piece to uh, 
to hear from uh, people how easy it is to get round the islands, because I know that's still a popular destination for many people. Uh, and right down to the the UK airports again. There's there's must be lots of facilities and things and services available at airports that we could possibly use, um, but they were unable to to pass that information on, which I thought was a great shame. Now the the um, uh, undoubted stars of the show really are the uh, small independents who are putting together these bespoke packages for people. And the thing that struck me about th this year is that I, I've always assumed those are very expensive holidays. But actually, I suppose because they're very customizable, uh, they're, they're kind of much more within reach than I thought. Yeah, I think um, certainly in the past, uh, everybody's come to the conclusion that, uh, myself included, that the sort of more um, uh, prepared adventure holidays was actually going to cost you an awful lot more than doing things independently. Uh, but uh, there's been a couple of people I've spoken to, and they've, they've put the point across quite clearly that the fact that what they're doing is they're maximising people's uh, time if they've got a two or three week break and they want to get the most from it, they want to have the feeling adventure, but they would like to have a little bit of a safety net, and they're still able to achieve their goal, have that freedom, have that independence, um, but at the same time seek advice locally and get the most from their time. It's, it's the usual story, when you go on holiday somewhere you always find the best beach on the last day, at least uh, they're preventing that and you're getting the most from whichever area that you arrive at. Well, as you were saying to me earlier, the th thing that is very striking is how small the world's becoming. Yes, don't you get that feeling? I mean, you come to a place like this and we've got uh, sort of obviously uh, UK destinations, we've got um, European destinations, certainly those on the fringes of the European destinations, but I mean, you got uh, enthralled with a guy from Mongolia. Oh, it's absolutely fantastic. I mean, you know, a country of, uh, what, two and a half million people, half of them live in the city and three times as big as France. You know, that, there's a wilderness experience for you. Uh, funny enough, that's, as soon as you mentioned you've spoken to them, that's one destination. I've, I've got this dream for some reason, of uh, probably because of Rose, uh, of uh, horse riding across Mongolia. I just have this idea of Genghis Khan and the Silk Road and all the rest of it all coming together. And, and I think that sort of wilderness could possibly be one of the last uh, big remote wildernesses uh, available to us. But I think, to answer your previous question, uh, it's definitely uh, getting to be very, very easy to get anywhere in the world in, in a 12-hour flight or less. Um, of course, a lot of these places now, it's even more affordable than it has been due to the financial situation. Everybody still wants to, to bring that tourist income into the area. So um, there's a lot of bargains to be had, certainly. And uh, certainly I was struck by the South American contingent here because, I mean, uh, you know, adventure holidays in South America have been popular for some time, but there's still an awful lot of it to discover, and some of these smaller companies who are, you know, beginning to reap real rewards by, you know, taking to you those destinations that, that, that perhaps you'd not thought about before. Well, I mean, traditionally these, these destinations have all been hunted out by the original backpackers. I mean, the backpackers going back to the 70s and 80s uh, were finding all the Kosamuis and the uh, Tiamat Islands and the, and the various places in Peru and so on, uh, which uh, were, were very simply uh, a simple destination and, and didn't have much to offer, which was their appeal. Um, I mean, in fact, uh, when I first met Rose, she, she had caught a fisherman's boat across to, to Koh Samui off the, the coast of 
Thailand there and uh, and she just stayed in a fisherman's hut uh, and when we went back oh, a few years ago now so, so 20 or 30 years later for her um, she just didn't recognize the place it was all concrete and commercialism uh, and of course you know when that happens the backpackers move on to find some other location which is offering something a bit different and of course what tied, gets tied into that now is the adventure holiday activities the pack rafting the canoeing the 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 diving all the various uh, other things which uh, I suppose uh, the general um, outdoor enthusiast wants to, to, to try and it's actually getting harder and harder to try these uh, sort of activities in somewhere where safety is not necessarily paramount and the excitement is still maximum. And of course one of the, uh, one of the good things which has a kind of you know slightly sour side to it is that people exploring the new destinations like Mongolia or wherever of course coming back setting up destination holiday companies as a way of keep themselves out there of course they're you know they're opening up again and i i again i was struck by a couple of stands who are saying well you know they're now getting quite a lot of people coming to them who have loved the himalaya for example but are now finding it's just a little bit too developed for them yeah responsible tourism i think is is also uh, quite rightly um forming a a key part of uh, a lot of the stands here and they're they're actually very discerning about the volume of people they're taking to the destinations um also and what they're importing and exporting to those destinations i think probably everybody listening to this has been somewhere where you know you you feel like you're on a cattle market and you just dragged in a bus to a particular location all of a sudden you're just surrounded by people selling x y and z and you feel very awkward about the whole situation but the other side of it is this could be the only time the local people get to to make some some serious money um and i think the the, the there is a, a very very fine path to be trod um uh, where you know if you are going to run a a, um, an, a, a tourist uh, service or a service for people outdoors people where you ensure that they don't have too much impact on the local culture because that's the thing that you want to see but at the same time they make a, a sensible contribution uh, and leave it hopefully as they found it well we've certainly met some interesting people during the day and um yeah there's some nice pieces for people to follow up and do the research on the web um can you pick out one highlight um my my iPod caravan <laughs> i think that air, that airstream caravan yeah, you do realize you're getting old don't you when you're sitting <laughs> lusting over a caravan yeah it's probably not so much the caravan it's just that as the as the as michael was saying in there it's the design it's just a piece of art it's absolutely gorgeous and i like a bit of style and he was saying he's got some customers that have just bought it and put it by their pool you know it's that sort of thing just to look at and polish and and so on what is fascinating actually when you sit here looking at the the airstream uh, unit and so on is they've actually fenced it off now uh, because they were finding that people were walking around it stroking it and then they started hitting it for some reason to make sure it was substantial and at 49,000 quid it's not the sort I think of I'd want to hit it yeah. <laughs> it's not the sort of thing you want dented so we, they fenced it off but um, now for me that's uh, it's uh, that's probably visually a very attractive uh, uh, piece but uh, what about yourself I think for me the highlight in many ways was the um the, the canal tour operator, the notion of doing a city break on a canal barge, I found quite exciting. That's you a know, nice idea, yeah. Berlin, Amsterdam, yeah. And, and some of his new destinations, Poland, for example. I thought, well, actually, you know, that, that's something a little bit different. Well, certainly there's a, a lot of times I've, I've wanted to go to those uh, particular locations and, and, you know, you always end up with a pre-packaged weekend break in a poor three-star 
accommodation and everything's all rushing around. The idea of doing it on a boat would be absolutely fantastic. And I, and I can think of a few events coming up for, for us and our group of friends where it would be super to, to nip across to France for a long weekend and, and yeah. spend it on a boat. Brilliant. Yeah. Perfect. I once had a tour of um, public housing development in Amsterdam. That's how sad I am. But, but the, being in Amsterdam, the tour was by boat and uh, it was a fantastic way of looking around. And you think, yeah, actually doing the whole of Amsterdam on a canal barge, that's the way to go. I think ultimately, the, at the end of uh, the day from, from this show and certainly our experiences and talking to people and also with one eye on the, on the financial situation, the credit crunch or whatever people want to call it, people are actually a lot more discerning now. They're, they're, they're looking deeper into how they're spending money, what are they getting for their money, but also where they're spending the money and the impact it's making. And um, I'm finding that perhaps these things have been there for a very long time, but, but they're actually, people are starting to recognise they've got a USP um, that's, that's worth promoting, like the weekend on boats or, or this Airstream or Mongolia or whatever it might be. Um, and uh, it, it is proving to be an attraction to the, to the high street typical holiday break. Yeah, I'm a bit surprised actually by how few UK um, operators are here, really. But um, you know, those that are here, they're doing quite well. But I think you're right. This is, uh, if you look around, there's still quite a lot of value for money to be had. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, it's interesting to see uh, that the number of people here and the sort of age range today at the weekend, which is probably a lot more mature than I was anticipating. But it just goes to indicate who's got the, who's got the spare cash at the moment. Yeah, and all those hippies on that bus. You're listening to the award-winning UK Business Podcaster of the Year. This is the Outdoor Station. For more information on the Destinations Show and who will be attending and exhibiting, have a look at the website, destinationshow.com. Now, Roman, uh, our German correspondent, um, was over in Friedrichshafen this year uh, speaking to Andy Burgess from Golight, and they had some very exciting news regarding the materials being used to make their range of products for 2010. Uh, some new products, like the fantastic new Peak Day Weekend Pack, which we've, uh, we've actually just had in, which is brilliant, uh, and the new tents, Arcadia and Eden, uh, plus, obviously, their normal range of products, well-known products, uh, quilts and uh, tents and so on and they have uh, been paying attention to manufacturing issues um, and their strap line going lighter on the planet has now taken uh, a, a new step um, because they've been using 100% tier 1 recycled nylon fabrics in the production and I believe, and I might be wrong on this, but I believe they might be the first company uh, to be doing this at the moment using 100% recycled nylon fabrics. So Roman had a word with Andy about the new product range for 2010 uh, and, of course, some more information regarding their use of recycled materials. Well, two major stories. Uh, the first is with the base fabrics. We've upgraded all of the fabrics uh, to a... 100% tier one recycled nylon fabric, so uh, something that's not been done before. Um, all of the quality and all of the performance standards of our previous fabrics are found now in this 100% recycled version. Uh, the other major upgrade that we've made to the Ultralight series is uh, we've changed the design of the hip belt, taken the hip belt from the uh, from the perimeter seam of the lumbar area and inserted it down in the middle of the back slightly closer together so that we get a much better wrap 
of the backpack and the, the, the center of mass uh, more, um, more solidly mimics yours. So you get greater freedom of movement as well as better load transfer. It's, it's a very noticeable comfort improvement when you have weight in the pack. So when will those uh, new packs be available for the end customer? Those will be in the market in January of 2010. And uh, the change of design extends to all of uh, the packs within the Ultralight series? It extends to the, the Jam and the Pinnacle, which are models that are currently in the range. We're introducing a new model to that range called the Peak that has a separate adjustable uh, hip belt construction that's slightly lighter weight. It also allows for complete detachment of the waist belt for going um, super light. Okay, so, so how would you place that new pack between uh, the Pinnacle and the Jam? The new pack, the Peak, is the smallest of the three. It is basically a 20% uh, smaller version of the Jam with a lighter weight suspension. And um, in terms of sleeping bags, I've noticed that you also came up uh, by extending or revamping the whole range, but in particular, particularly I'm interested in the new um, quilts you've come up uh, within the Ultralight series. Can you tell us a little bit more about those two? Sure. The, our Ultralight quilts in 2009 really took us by surprise. They, they ended up being our best-selling models, and uh, because we had so many people out there using them, we had a lot of requests for uh, an expansion of this range. So what we did was we took uh, the existing model and added more down fill. It's 800 plus uh, fill power, Eastern European source down. We added more to that to make it more robust uh, for colder temperatures, and we introduced a lighter weight model um, for summer as well as um, mild spring and fall conditions. So um, the the lightest bag we've ever made. So that lightest bag uh, and the other one, when will those be available for the end customer? Uh, same time, uh, January. Uh, January of 2010 is when those sleeping bags will be available. Last but not least, uh, you also um, added two new tent models. I remember about two years ago when you introduced the Shangri-La series uh, to the show. It was a great success. Um, now you will add uh, two new uh, tents, uh, the Arcadia series and the Eden series. So what is the story behind those two new tents? Well, similar to the ultralights, um, the Shangri-La series has been very successful for us and uh, we've had requests for people, uh, we've had requests from people for um, more fully integrated shelter systems as opposed to buying a floor and a shelter um, and a nest independently. Um, they wanted a, a single package that they could purchase, um, a more conventional tent. Uh, so we applied um, new materials that we've developed for 2010 um, 15 denier ultra lightweight uh, high tenacity nylons um, and integrated fly sheets with the bodies so a uh, single package gives you uh, gives you the full tent um, ready to go out of the bag. Uh, the major difference between the Edens and the Arcadias versus the Shangri-La series is that uh, they have um, uh, netting bodies and fully taped uh, waterproof uh, fly sheets uh, that that you can pitch and uh, and strike um, as an integrated unit. The Arcadias are in fact um, a separated fly, but you can keep them attached via Velcro. The Edens are an integrated um, pole sleeve 
uh, construction that suspends, it both tensions the exterior fly sheet and suspends the inner tent. So, so we've really focused in, in these tents, as opposed to just minimizing weight, um, we've taken these minimal, uh, minimalist materials, but built them around larger internal volumes. So they're geared for uh, better um, internal space at the shoulder height, as opposed to good living space um, just at night when you're, when you're sleeping and reclining. So for, for European conditions, uh, the porch size is very important, you know, especially when you go to the UK, it's raining uh, a lot uh, and uh, people tend to cook, even so it's not always advised to do it, but tend to cook inside of the porch or store their, uh, the gear inside of the porch. So how, how big is the porch in those two uh, to see within those two series? Well, the, uh, on the Arcadias, the, the, the vestibule, uh, which is what we, we call the porch, uh, is uh, it is zip off so there's a separating zipper um, the vestibule size adds almost 40 percent to the shelter itself so it's enormous in fact um, I've I've been out with my daughters they slept in the tent and I slept in the vestibule um, because they were thrashing around too much and and uh, I had to curl my legs a little bit but was fully covered so um, on the Arca Arcadia's it's the largest uh, the largest porch we've ever made um, with the Edens uh, we make a one-person and a two-person model and there's a single vestibule for each occupant. So on the, the Eden 1, um, it add, that, that vestibule adds, um, uh, it adds about 15% uh, of the floor space uh, to, uh, to external gear storage, and then we double that for the Eden 2 with a vestibule on either side uh, because there are two entrances, one for each occupant. So, um, you know, Golad is also very well known for a good, let's say, a relationship between performance and price. Mm -hmm. uh, so when, when will those uh, tents uh, be available and what will be the price point? Well, they'll be available in January of 2010. Uh, because we have upgraded the materials so much uh, to this 15 denier silicone PU-coated uh, fabric, there has been a price increase. Um, like anything that's ultra lightweight, the lighter you go to maintain strength, you have to increase uh, uh, the technology that's in it. So the Arcadia 2 uh, will retail for 350 euros, 295 pounds. Uh, the Arcadia 3... Um, retails for 425 euros and 350 pounds. The Edens retail for, uh, in the one-person version, 295 euros and 250 pounds. And the Eden 2 is 375 euros and 300 pounds. And um, do you have also some information about the weight of uh, the Eden series, one and two? The Eden one uh, weighs one and a half kilos. Uh, with everything included, all of the stakes, all of the stuff sacks, all of the guy lines. And the Eden 2 weighs 2.3 kilos. Well, that pretty well wraps up the show for today. Uh, my thanks to everyone involved in the show, Andy Howell, uh, Andy Burgess, uh, Roman, of course, and also uh, Simon Street from Expression Media. 
Uh, well, that uh, leads us now to coming up to Christmas time. Um, we're still looking for suggestions for show number 300. We've had quite a few in. Uh, at the moment, it's leaning towards um, me perhaps uh, contacting a handful of people involved in the lightweight uh, industry around the world uh, and seeing where we are sort of four or five years on from when I first spoke to them when we first started doing the podcasts, um, which I think would be very interesting, actually, uh, and see what their feelings are with where we are and obviously where we're going. Uh, but until uh, next time, folks, do get out more. Uh, remember to take your wet weather gear with you because the weather isn't particularly good at the moment. But uh, whatever you do, stay safe and enjoy yourself. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To hear more from our extensive free library, please visit the website at theoutdoorstation.co.uk. You can now follow The Outdoor Station on Facebook, where we chat about each program we produce, answer questions, and discuss future productions. Why not join us there? This podcast is produced and hosted by theoutdoorstation.co.uk.